Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, by your spirit, would you open our hearts up, Lord, and come like a sower and sow the seed of your word into our hearts. Lord, we thank you that when your word lives inside of us, our lives take on meaning, our lives are beautified, our lives become strong, and you enable us to walk and to live the abundant life that you created us to live. Lord, I pray for everybody today under the sound of my voice that none of us would have anything else other than everything that you've provided for us, an abundant life that is blessed, that is whole, that is well, that is strong, that is complete. And if there's anybody here today, Lord, that's bent over double inside, crushed by the weight of life, crushed by the worry of life, like Rachel said, Lord Jesus, you love us. You love every single one of us. Lord, and you lift that weight off us because you care for us. Because you want to be involved. So Lord, I pray that every burden would be lifted right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, come on, let's give him a good round of applause this morning. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, this morning, for the next 30 minutes, we're going to continue to look at Psalm 23. We've been looking at that over the last uh, few weeks and um, just looking at the wonderful richness of this psalm as David looked back on his life. And we're going to look this morning at uh, some different verses. We're going to move on from the beginning section and we're going to move into the middle section of the psalm, verse 4 through to verse 6, where David's life experience begins to change. It's almost like he's looking at the second half of his life when he reflects back over his time, over 60 years of life. We're going to get into that. Oliver Wendell Holmes, the playwright, once said this, when life contradicts you, what does it reveal about you? There's nothing like the contradictions of life to determine where you are, to determine who you are, to determine what's in you. Problems, crises, and contradictions in life very often define us and show us where we are in life. You know, I was thinking about this. When you think about Jesus, Jesus' life was full of contradictions. In fact, his birth was a contradiction. This is the king of the universe, and we're coming into the Christmas season soon. Me and Faye have already got our tree up. The lights are glistening. The tinsel's all around. It's been up a couple of weeks now, Faye, hasn't it? Oh, we love it. We love it. Absolutely love it. Christmas music on. It's excellent. I showed the postman the other day that we got the Christmas tree up. And you get the weirdest reactions from people when they see a tree 
and I showed the neighbor, and they're just like freaked out that you've got a tree up at the end of October. But life is full of surprises. Fantastic. But do you know what? Jesus' life, his birth, was a contradiction, a complete contradiction. Here's the king of the universe coming to earth. The king of all kings, the Bible calls him, the king of all kings. Not just a king, but the king of all kings. The king of all kings over time, over history, over eternity. Jesus is coming to earth and he gets born in a dirty cattle shed. There's no room in the inn. We've got nowhere to host him in this world of ours. So he gets relegated to a dirty cattle shed. I'd call that a contradiction. I'd call that a crisis. We didn't understand the importance of the one that was coming or the one that was going to be born. A complete contradiction. A crisis. And not only was his birth a contradiction and a crisis, but the Bible says that he grew up in a town called Nazareth, and Nazareth had a reputation where nothing good came out of it. So he grew up in this place, this dead-end place that had an awful reputation. What a contradiction. And then on his first day out in church when he was 30 years of age, he was preaching a nice little sermon his first day out on the block. And the whole congregation, now don't get any ideas this morning, right? The whole congregation got crazy and they started to go really mad at Jesus. They grabbed him, they pushed him out the door and they tried to throw him off the end of a cliff. That's a contradiction. And yet, these outer contradictions, these outer crisis situations in Jesus' life never diverted who he was or determined who he was. He always had a way of moving on through them and even using his problems to suit his purpose. I want to say to you today, you may have, it, it may seem that you have awful problems in your life. It may seem that there are crises in your life that, that seem so, so, so strong and so adverse. We could go around the room, I'm sure, and there could be story after story where, where life is full of problems and circumstances. But I'm here to tell you today that those crises, situations in your life, those problems in your life, maybe where you've come from, your past, and, and your start in life, they are not there to determine your future. They are not there to determine you or crush you as a person. God is for you, the Bible says. Therefore, who can be against you? Whether it's your past, whether it's present problems, or whether it's a future that looks bad. God is for you. God is with you. God loves you unconditionally. It doesn't matter how you've behaved. It doesn't matter how, what you've done. It doesn't matter whether you've got ticks against your name or ugly black crosses. God loves you. He really does. And his love reaches out to, all, to us all. Jesus' life was full of contradictions. He gets chucked out of church, gets thrown over, nearly thrown over a cliff. But that 
would not stop him doing what he'd come to do. He healed people. He helped people. He welcomed and loved people. Wherever he went, he couldn't walk past a person without healing them or helping them or offering a hand to bring them through. His life was full of crises and difficulties. One time he was going to meet a man who was living in a graveyard. And the man has got chains all over him, some, you know, a crazy situation. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time that you visited the local graveyard to set somebody free? I mean, I've never met a, I've, I've never gone to the local graveyard trying to, you know, find somebody living there in a tomb that's naked, running around like a crazy person, beating everybody up as they pass. But that's how radical Jesus was. That's how far removed Jesus is from our, our normality. Jesus loved people with a passion and he would do crazy things and go crazy places to get to somebody that needed help and rescue. And this one day he goes to a graveyard, he's in a boat and this storm tries to take the ship down. That's a contradiction. His life was full of contradictions. He stands up in the middle of the storm. He says, peace be still. And something strange happened. The entire sea became still. That's not normal, friends. That's not normal. But Jesus isn't a normal person. He came as a man, yes, but he was God in the flesh. And his words are very different to our words. One word from Jesus will change your life forever. If he can say, peace be still to a raging sea and it become like a mill pond, he can deal with your fear. He can deal with your trouble. He can deal with your depression. He can deal with your divorce. He can deal with every fear. I'm telling you now, I've been captivated by fear, depression, anxiety. I've had it all. I've told you before. But one cry, a four-letter prayer to Jesus, help me. And he's come rushing in. He's helped me. He's delivered me from my fear. Peer. He's delivered me from my fear. He's got me out of my pit. He saved me from my sin. Forgiven me. Set me free. That's the one that we're talking about this morning. And he went to that mad crazy man who was running around naked, all chained up, ripping chains off him, off himself, cutting himself. And suddenly the man comes running towards Jesus. Jesus faces him up and says, come out of him. And all of that strange, ugly stuff just left him, went into a herd of pigs, and the man was left in, a, in his right mind, and he went home to his wife and children in his sound mind, and it was a great future for that man. Why? One word from Jesus will set you free. Do you need a word from Jesus today? Are you low inside? He'll give you a word to lift you up. Is your head full of messages that are constantly bringing you down. He'll help you with that. He will. He really will. The Bible is a wonderful book of testimony, really, where people like you and me prayed simple, childlike prayers in the midst of problem and crisis and contradiction, and God came running in to their aid. Jesus was constantly seeing God. 
come into his world and help others and relieve them of the burdens and the stresses of life. He really was. David knew about the contradictions of life. He knew about the crisis periods of life. When he looked back over his life, his life was, was, a, was a checkered history, a, a, a mixture of color. It had the bright colors of success, but it had the awful dark colors of failure and fear and depression and struggle. David's life was an amazing picture of many different events. And yet in the midst of it all, he saw God, his shepherd, coming in to his daily life, leading him on through. Let me read to you from verse 4 of Psalm 23 to verse 6. These are words that we know very well. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy, he says, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amazing words from a man that wasn't just writing poetry. These are the words of a man that had a testimony of experience whereby he could look back and see, do you know what? The Lord my shepherd helped me here. He helped me there. He got me out of this situation. When I cried for his help in this instance, he came rushing in. This is the testimony of a man who wasn't serving God, but who, who God was serving. This is the testimony. These are the words. This is the psalm of a man as he reflects back and as he looks over his past. He was looking and seeing how God had served him. God had served David. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. Amazing words. Amazing words. Isn't it incredible that you can be at the worst time of your life, but at the same time be at the best time of your life? Isn't it amazing that you can be in the darkest moment of your life, and yet you've never seen so clearly? It's incredible. That your environment can be full of fear. And yet you've never been so established in your faith. Amazing. Life can be full of contradictions. Your environment and your circumstances around you and what's happening on the outside can be full of contradictions and crisis. And yet within you, there's a complete calm. There's complete peace. The apostles knew this. Imagine this. Change the scene. Change the scenario a minute. Paul and Silas being chucked in prison for telling people about Jesus. They'd been beaten. They'd been whipped. And now they're in chains. 
And the Bible says they are singing in the midnight hour. What a contradiction. Life all around them is in crisis mode. And yet in the heart of the prison where they had contained them, they are singing praises to God. What a spirit. The same spirit that were in those men is in you and I, my friends. He's called the Holy Spirit. Life may get difficult. Life may get tough. Problems may get bigger. They may be beating down on you more than they've ever done. But there's a buoyancy within your spirit that's not natural. It's there as the result of Jesus living in your heart. It really is. And as a result of those men singing in that midnight hour in that prison, it says their chains fell off, the doors were opened, and God delivered them. He really did. David is in a valley. He's in the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't it amazing that he's not running? Have you ever thought about that? Yea, though I run through the valley of the shadow of death. No, this man is not running. This man is just walking. Why? Why is he walking? In the midst of something so dark, in the midst of something so troubling and confusing, in the midst of something that possibly was so painful, it's the valley of the shadow of death. Why is he walking? He's walking. I'll tell you why. Because at the core of his being, there's a buoyancy and a life and a rest and a peace within him whereby he knows that the shepherd is for him and the shepherd is with him and the shepherd is going to bring him on through. He hasn't got to run anywhere. God's with him. He said, I fear no evil for you are with me. You can be in the worst time of your life. You can be at the darkest moment of your life. You can be confused mentally and yet you fear no evil because... In that moment, there's a realization that God's not left you. God is with you. Do you know David doesn't talk in this valley about anybody else being with him? It seems as if he's all alone. It seems as if he's walking through this time and this period in his life on his own. But the Lord is with him. And he assures himself and he reflects upon that time and he says, I feared no evil because you were with me. You were with me. And he walked. He didn't run. He didn't rush. He didn't try to get through as fast as he could. No, he just walked calm, 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 calmly and from that rested place of life. Because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He said, I fear no evil. And then he goes on to say, your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, you know, lots of times people have got an idea that God has got a big wooden stick. And he's waiting to see you do something wrong. And the moment you do something wrong, he's there ready to reprimand you, ready to correct you with his rod and his staff. That's not comforting. That's not the God I serve. That's not my experience of God. That's not the God of the Bible. 
That's not the good shepherd that Jesus calls himself. He doesn't hold a rod and a staff in his hand to correct you. He holds that rod and that staff to comfort you. To comfort you. To deal with everything around you. And as a result of dealing with everything around you that's contradicting where you're going, you receive comfort from that. Do you know what? For too long, we have had ideas about God regarding this whole area of correction. 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 You've got to correct. It's almost like the church are full of policemen running around. Oh, did you see what they did? Did you hear what they did? Mind your own business, you nosy thing. Serious. Have you read your Bible? What has it got to do with you? Have you been praying? Have you been fasting? Have you been doing this, that, and the other? How dare you? How wrong? How wrong? It is not right. It is not right. That is religious. That is pharisaical. That is what the Sadducees do. And that is what Jesus confronted every time. And he got very angry with it. Because people would look down their noses at other people with broken lives and they would criticize the broken. And they would criticize the burdened and those that were imprisoned. And and Jesus said, do you know what? You lot, you dress up like religious people and you look all clean on the outside, but inside, and you sing your songs and you preach your sermons, but inside you are like a graveyard of dead bones. And you had all of these people criticizing people with broken lives. And then they started to criticize Jesus. And they said, and, and this was his critic, this, this is what his criti- critics said about him. He said, well, they said, well, you're just a friend of sinners. What a commendation, friends. What a commendation. I want to be a friend of sinners. The Bible doesn't tell us to be a friend of saints. It tells us to be a friend of sinners. Come on. What an exciting life. you got Jesus and you can be a friend of sinners. Fantastic. But, you know, we've got this idea that God corrects, 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 corrects. And he's always correcting. Do you know what? I don't believe that that is right. I do not believe that that is a healthy idea of what a loving God is. The Bible says this to me, that he's the God of all comfort, not the God of all correction. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us. He consoles us. When we sin, when we make a mess, God is is at, at at the collision right there and then, helping us, rescuing us. Healing us. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to send you another corrector. Did he? He said, I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send you another counselor. One who will be just like me. Who shows unconditional love. Full of grace. Full of truth. Not correction. No, we need to lighten up. We need to smash that religious spirit. And kick it into touch. 
We really do. Because God is a comforter. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to lead you into all truth, to guide you, to walk with you, to help you. He's a helper. And David knew this. David knew that God was his comforter. And God didn't hold that stick abusively and whack him with it. Do this, do that. Go there. Get that. No. He comforted him. He healed him. He helped him. And this is why David had such a wonderful, wonderful understanding and expectation in relation to who God was. And then you move on through and he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You look at the history of David's life. Man, there was enemies. There seems at, at times to be enemies on every page as you read the history of his life. Listen, he had great relationships, but he, he, he had some awful relationships too. He made some great friends but he made some massive mistakes. Are you encouraged by that? You know, some people, they talk about, you listen to them, right? And you know it's a load of blag. You know it's a load of blag when they talk it. They talk about relationships as if they're successful on every sphere of relationships. You know, it's like they're hovering and it's like they've got a halo on their head. They've never failed in relationships. They've never failed in friendships bottom line is, listen, we've all failed. We've all broken promises. We've all broken trust. We've all got hurt. We've all hurt others. David had a, had a whole history of hurt and pain and brokenness. He had lots of enemies, and yet in the midst of all of those enemies surrounding him, the surprise of his life was this, that God came as a servant, you see. God didn't say, the shepherd didn't say to David, now put the knives and forks this way. Serve the food now. No. He said, David, I'll pull the chair back. Sit down, son. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to prepare the table. Don't you prepare anything. I'm going to prepare it. You see, this psalm is not about David serving God. It's all about God serving David. It really is. And God serves him. And David remembers the times where in the crisis times of his life, God came, prepared a table before him and provided for him. And then he said, you anoint my head with oil. Interesting. That he uses this picture. You know, when, a, when a, a shepherd would find a sheep that had wandered, when a shepherd would find a sheep that had, that had been caught in the thicket and gone over, over through the fence, through the perimeter of the fold, he would anoint it with oil to remove any of the, of the bugs, any of the parasites that had stuck into the flesh of the sheep. 
And David uses that imagery. He says, my shepherd anoints my head with oil. Why at that moment did David say that? Well, do you know when you're surrounded by a host of enemies, it's, he, it's easy to hear what they're saying about you. And not only hear what they're saying about you, it's easy to begin to think and process what they're saying. And when you begin to think about the bad things that people say about you, sometimes you begin to believe those things and you begin to take on those things. And by believing them, they start to fashion you and form you. David is surrounded by enemies. And God says, I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. I'm going to help you with all of that stuff in your mind. All of those, all of those things that, that, are, that are not right, that shouldn't be there, that are causing you to behave in the way that you're behaving, causing you to cower down and fear. I'm going to, I'm going to anoint you. Maybe today, there's some of us here, we need our head anointed with oil. He's going to anoint your head with oil. He's going to renew your mind. He's going to clear away all of the clutter and all of the, the, the mixed messages that, are, that have come through from an environment that has been hostile around you. He's going to anoint your head with oil today and is anointing your head with oil. Amen. And David knew this. He knew by experience that God anoints our head with oil and renews us and enables us to think good things, wholesome things, blessed things. He goes on. After he'd had this table set before him, after he'd had his head anointed with oil, he sees his cup running over. And here he's referring to his life, not just his external life, but his internal life. A flow of life that's new. But in one sense, it's, it's a contradiction. Because it shouldn't be happening where it's happening. There's enemies all around him. There shouldn't be a table for him there. But there is. His head shouldn't be getting anointed by his shepherd there. It's the darkest moment of his life, but it is. Certainly, his cup shouldn't be overflowing, but it is. Why? Because God is good. God is wonderful. And he walks and he strides into the darkest moments of our lives. When we think he won't be there, he is there. On another occasion, David said this. You, God, are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in a moment. You are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Today, what help do you need? What help? What, 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 what is it you need help with? You say, well, that's private. That's right. It's private. 
It doesn't have to be public for God to enter it. God can enter into the most private areas of our life and bring peace and strength and help. What help do you need? He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. For some of us here today, we look out and we see people in here. And we may think, well, I wish my life could be like that. I wish I could do that. I wish I could have another chance. I wish I could be the person that I see other people being. You're going to be awesome. You're going to be fantastic. God's got a wonderful plan for you. He really has. He's going to surprise you. He's going to lift your head up. And you're going to look back like David. And like David said, you did it for me, God. You're going to look back on your life and you're going to say, do you know what? He did it for me too. He did it for me too. Your future, your future is not determined by you or anybody else. It's determined by our loving Father in heaven who loves you, who loves me. Amen. And then he finally ends it all off by looking on beyond this life. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, he says, in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. He knew that there was life beyond this life. That this life was to be enjoyed. This life was to be walked with and in God, his shepherd. But even beyond, on beyond that, even into eternity, the grave is not the end. He said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to close our eyes just for a moment. And maybe today you're here and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You don't know him as your shepherd. You can know him as the Lord, your shepherd today. He loves you unconditionally. I want to pray with you right now. And it's just a prayer just to invite the shepherd to come into your heart. You say, well, how does that happen? I really don't know. But I'm telling you now, just like you invite somebody into your home, you open the door and you welcome them in. It's a bit like that. You offer him the invitation, say, Jesus, come into my heart. And suddenly, he comes in. Not in some freaky, scary way, but gently and peacefully. I'm going to pray right now. If you would like to ask Jesus, the shepherd, into your heart. Just repeat these words after me. And it'll just help you. Say, Jesus, quietly in your heart, say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. 
forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, I thank you for that. I accept it and believe it. I believe that you're alive. And right now, I ask you to be my Savior, to be my Shepherd. Amen.